Hi, hi, hello, guys. I'm Rui, and this is Macabre Ramblings, the Halloween Week episode. Ooh. <laughs> So, this is actually an episode as I look into my calendar. So, as I look to my calendar, I actually was kind of... I had a mistake, actually. I thought that this episode would be released on, like, actual Halloween, like, 31st. But I was mistaken and... The episode for the True Crime Full Ramble after this is actually the one for the Halloween episode, so... Womp womp, I suppose. But still, I still did make the topic for this episode as something Halloween-ish. Or more like something that my mind has al always goes to whenever it's Halloween. Like, something scary, something like... Makes me feel apprehensive. I'm intimidated uh, when I play it. Which, I don't really play it that much anymore. Back then, I was just like a wee little baby that doesn't really know the repercussions of playing the game. But, right now, I know I'm an adult. And I could proudly, or just say, outright that this is not a game or something that I would do without being very careful in doing it. And because of that, it's probably something that I would not do by myself or with people that don't really know what they're doing <laughs> and oh yeah so while this episode definitely wouldn't be released on halloween itself i'm thinking of releasing kind of like a long true crime full ramble on halloween as well so something like two special episodes i suppose for october <laughs> So, that's about it. So, let's just treat let's just treat this topic as something that would be released on Halloween because it's the Halloween themed episode. And so, my rambling is now done. <laughs> and now I'll start the topic that I have set out on doing for today. And the topic would be all about the Ouija board. Yep, all about the Ouija board. <laughs> I know it's not but I don't know if you guys have seen this video in YouTube where this guy pronounced misspelled words for Ouija and there's like Ouija, there's even like Luigi boards. It's it's really funny. I might put it down in the end notes just for a good laugh because it's something that I have watched countless of times but whenever I see it I either actually laugh or like smile brightly like an idiot because it's really funny. And that's <laughs> That's where my joke came from. So now let's go to the actual topic, the Ouija board. And the Ouija board is also called by other people as the spirit board, the witch board, the talking board, the oracle board, and apparently most recently the channeling board. And I am pretty sure that most of us already know what the Ouija board is, but 
for the people who do not or just for the sake of the talk itself so it will not feel like i'm just talking about a board that i haven't really described yet properly and it is a board usually a wooden board the actual uh, classic one is a wooden board and it has numbers on it letters on it a hi hello i mean a hello goodbye yes and no is also there at that flat board and there is a kind of like a movable pointer which is called a planchette there's also various symbols and graphics i suppose they're just kind of like designs all around the board to make it look more snazzy more cool more gothic and amazing and so the planchette is it's actually usually the classic ones it looks like a small heart-shaped piece of wood or plastic and that is the movable indicator to spell out messages during a seance or whenever people decide to channel and talk to the people at the other side so the premise of the Ouija board is that a living person can communicate with a soul or a spirit and the spirit will be able to communicate back by spelling out the answers on the board using the uh, alphabet the numbers, the hello, the goodbye, the yes, and the no. So what is the history of the Ouija board? The history, I have seen like one of the oldest kind of like mentions of a, almost kind of like a Ouija board, but it's not called a Ouija board at that point in time yet, is in China around 1100 AD. Apparently, they have this automatic writing method kind of like a Ouija board and in historical documents at the Song Dynasty, there's this method known as Fuji planchette writing. And the use of this is used it is used in necromancy and apparently communion with the spirit world under special rituals and supervisions. It is a central practice of the oh my god, it's Chinese and I don't know how to speak Chinese, so I'm gonna butcher this. I am so sorry. But apparently, it is a central practice of the Quanzhen School. Quanzhen School. Q-U-A-N-Z-H-E-N. But it was forbidden by the Qing Dynasty. But, like, the, uh, the actual, like, most of the history that I have seen that is connected to the Ouija board is back then when spiritualism was born. In 19th century America, there was this obsession with spiritualism. And spiritualism is the belief that the dead are able to communicate with the living. So it has also been around for years in Europe. But it hit America hard in 1848 because of the Fox Sisters. And the Fox Sisters was in upstate New York and they claimed that they could receive messages from spirits by hearing them tap on the walls in answer to some questions. And this basically spread spiritualism a lot because it's like for people it served as proof that spirits could communicate even if they are only being able to use taps on the walls, knocks and all that stuff but they could communicate and the Fox sisters spread this everywhere and spiritualism was even more embedded in the culture of the people back then and there's a lot of history in Fox sisters but I decided that because this is the Ouija board I'm going to focus on 
the widget board itself. I might release like a mini about the Fox Sisters in the future when time allows and when my muse or my motivation to make one is there. And so the people back then that believe in spiritualism also used table tipping or table turning. And this is using normal tables like you have in your own home and people that will do the table tipping would place their hands on the table and it tips when specific letters of the alphabet are called out and this would spell out messages from the spirits i could only imagine it as like you say a it doesn't tip b it doesn't tip c it tips so you're like write down c and then you do it all over again so the medium for communication with the spirits this time is a table that tips and kind of turns whenever you call out the right letter or I suppose number as well. So early spiritualists chose the table as a divination device because it is easy to be found. It is a common piece of furniture and this made it perfect for home circles or meetings because you just sit together around the table and do it like easily. So one member of the group would call out the letters of the alphabet or hold up an alphabet card and run a finger over it. Table would tip and knock at the chosen letter. And there's also another version called the table tilting. And this is was caught by the Victorian Britain at the height of the popularity of seances. So guests would sit around the table as well and they would rest their hands upon the upper surface of the table as well. So after a while, the table would move apparently in its own. And then the movements might start with slight jerks at first, but it could also kind of like move around in a more aggressive manner that some sitters would find themselves chasing the table around the room, trying to keep up with it. So I suppose this time, instead of just turning and tilt, turning and tilting and all that stuff, it actually like moves in such a way that it might look like it's jerking all over the place and the movements make it travel all around the room as well so the sitters would have to chase after it so the divination or the channeling wouldn't be broken aided by some stories about the fox sisters and other spiritualists in the press spiritualism would reach millions of people and its peak is in the second half of the 19th century and this movement also offered a lot of comfort in the era when there was a lot of war and the average lifespan was less than 50. Childbirth is dangerous, so women, a lot of women died from it. There's a lot of children that dies of disease and men die in war. So there's just a lot of death all around. And this provides a lot of comfort to the people that loses their loved ones. So thinking that they could still be able to communicate with them, even if they do not hear their voices, gives them a lot of comfort because they're still there and they're still able to provide communication despite the fact that they're dead already. So even Mary Todd Lincoln, the wife of Lincoln, she conducted seances in the White House after their 11-year-old son died of fever in 1862 during the Civil War. So this is a time where spiritualism is at its peak, but the Ouija board isn't, ex isn't exactly made quite yet. So in 1886, 
The Associated Press reported of a new phenomenon taking over the spiritualists' camps in Ohio, and they call it the talking board, and it was, in all intents and purposes, a Ouija board. It has letters, numbers, and a planchette-like device that they use to point at these letters and numbers. So this article went far and wide and reached a lot of people, and it reached the ears of Charles Kennard of Baltimore, Maryland, and he looked at it, he read it, and he had an idea. So in 1890, he pulled together a group of four investors, including Elijah Bond, a local attorney, and Colonel Washington Bowie, a surveyor, and he called them and made the group with them to exclusively make and market these talking boards to profit from it. None of them were actually spiritualists, but they were all businessmen, and they see an opportunity, and they grab onto it. So apparently, Kennard also has a friend in someone called Rache, 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 how do you say his name? His, it is spelled R-E-I-C-H-E. Apparently, they were collaborators, because Rache is the biggest coffin maker and he's been helping in making some of these wooden boards on the side i haven't seen anything else that came from the coffin maker but i have read a couple of articles saying that they collaborated but nothing much came from about him and the future like articles or some articles depicting what happened in the future so these uh talking boards that the coffin maker has done has made is kind of like a prototype that eventually became the Ouija board so when Kennard left Chestertown for Baltimore in 1890 this is where he actually starts pitching his talking board invention to potential investors so I suppose looking at the uh, timeline so Charles Kennard saw the article about the talking boards he got interested in it contacted the coffin maker they collaborated in making prototypes and that is when Kennard went to Baltimore and pitched these uh, talking boards to the investors the four group of people that he grouped with for this endeavor financial endeavor so at that time it isn't called a Ouija board yet and they felt like they needed a good name because talking board isn't doesn't sound good it's a talking board like is it a board that actually talks like verbal? What What is this? It's, it sounds kind of lame, doesn't it? And so they felt like they needed a name. And so apparently, contrary to popular belief, Ouija is not a combination of the French for yes, which is we, and the German ja. So it is based on research by Robert Murch. Apparently, he is the world's foremost talking board historian. Based on his research, it was Bond's sister-in-law, and Bond is one of the four investors, Elijah Bond, his sister, sister-in-law, I meant, Helen Peters, who is, as Bond, Elijah Bond said, a strong medium. She was the one who helped with naming the board, so they sat around the table, and they asked the board what they should call it. The name Ouija was spelt, and when they asked the board what that meant, the board replied, Good luck, 
and that's how they got Peter board. But Peters apparently also acknowledged that she, at that time when they were talking to the Ouija board, she was wearing a locket bearing a picture of a woman with the name Ouida above her head. So you could also say that it came from there, but apparently it's the board who named itself Ouija. So apparently the women, just bonus fact, the woman in Peter's locket is a woman, women's rights activist, Wida, and Peter's admired her so much. And some people think that Wija is a typo of that name of some sort. So now they got the board, they got the name, and they have to patent it so they could sell it. And to patent it, they know that they have to prove that the board is working. You know. And so to prove the patent, Bond brought his sister-in-law, Peters, to the patent office in Washington with him when he applied for the patent. So there is where the chief patent officer is located and he demanded a demonstration. So if the board, he said that if the board could, accurate, could accurately spell out his name, which apparently at that time was supposed to be unknown to Bond and Peters, he'd allow the patent application to proceed. And so, Bond and Peters accepted this challenge. They all sat down, talked to the spirits, and the planchette moved to spell out the patent officer's name. So on February 10, 1891, the patent chief patent officer, looking white-faced, pale, visibly shaken, accepted the patent for the Ouija board, which is apparently at that time would be advertised as a toy or a game to people. So now, everything is in order, and they have to prepare to sell these Ouija boards. So at that time, people don't really think that they're going to open the gates of hell, and or like this is like a dangerous thing that they're doing. They don't think about that. They were mostly looking, the investors were mostly looking to just open people's wallets and gain money from this. Because it looks like it would work well. And, spoiler alert, it did. So, spiritualism had grown a lot in a lot of people. So too did the frustration with how long it took to actually get any meaningful message out of the spirits. Because by doing the table turning, table tilting thing, it's so slow. Like... You don't have a board where things get spelt out easier. You have a table that tilts whenever you say the right letter. So you're going to do it over and over and over again just to spell like one word. Imagine how long it would take to spell like a sentence or a paragraph. Especially if the spirit you're talking to is a talkative one. So there's a lot of frustration about how slow it is. So in February 1891, the first few advertisements started appearing in papers. So the advertisement says, Ouija, the wonderful talking board. And apparently, it is in an advertisement by a Pittsburgh toy and novelty shop describing the Ouija board as a magical device that answered questions about the past, present, and future with marvelous accuracy and promised never-failing amusement and recreation for all the classes. And this is also a link between the known and unknown 
the material and immaterial. So, the first patent actually offers no explanation as to how it works. It was patented, but there's no like explanation on how the board works at all. Because how could you explain a board doing it? They don't have an explanation or like a proper explanation for it. And so the patent just says that, yep, the board is working and it's a Ouija board. And this just like adds more to the ambiguity and mystery. And it was part of more or less the marketing effort that was made to advertise it. And quickly enough, it became a moneymaker. By 1892, the Kennard Novelty Company went from one factory in Baltimore to two. And then two factories also was made in New York, two in Chicago, and one in London. So the widget board was also marketed as a game to enliven the party. <laughs> or to encourage intimacy, romantic intimacy between couples. Because there are advertisements that often depicted the board resting on the couple's knees. So they're not using a table. They're using their knees as the base to put on the board. And this back then is intimacy. Because back then you can't like be that close to each other. And now they're like... Oh, they're touching knees. And so it's like romantic intimacy between couples while they are talking to spirits. <laughs> it was also marketed as that. So there's a, uh, I suppose you could call him a artist. His name is Norman Rockwell. And he is fond of depicting the revealing moments of everyday life in his art. And he painted a well-dressed suitor and a young woman. Their chairs are pulled face-to-face -face and they're playing with a Ouija board for the cover of the Saturday Evening Post in 1920. And for people, especially for couples, this is good marketing. Because, you know, intimacy, scandalous. <laughs> So, the board was successful. It took in a lot of money. And so, the investors decided to pull away while everything looks like it's still at its, at its peak. So, they decided to take the money and just leave because they've got, I guess they got what they thought is the maximum profit that they could get from this endeavor. And so, at one point in time, William Fold, Fold, William Fold take took over the company. He is once a just an employee and stockholder, and he found himself running the company. So, fun fact, fun fact, just a fact, quick fact. When he died, he never actually claimed to be the inventor of the board, but his obituary in the New York Times declared him to be. But technically. Or just, you know, literally. He is just the company leader, the CEO. The one who runs it. And he is not really the one who invented it, if you ask me. But some people claim him to be because of that. So he took up the company. And in, in 1898, with the blessing of Colonel, Colonel Bowie, the majority shareholder and one of the only two remaining original investors... He licensed, licensed the exclusive rights to make the board, but only after his brother was out of the company. 
So he decided to license it, but he really just waited for his brother to get out of the company. So he got kind of like all the profits instead of sharing it with, with his brother. So what followed after that were booming years for Fold and frustration for the men who went out of the investment too early. And, you know, there's going to be a lot of squabbling, a lot of conflict over it. And there's also conflict over who really invented it because the one who licensed it is Fold. But the one who actually went for the patent is Kennard and the others. So, kind of like a uh, conflict squabbling. Just, you know, law, legal mumbo-jumbo that happened between them. So, the pages of the newspaper Baltimore Sun, a lot of what is the conflict had appeared in, this, in these pages. While this is happening, a couple of rival boards launched, but they all failed. They tried to make like Ouija 2.0 or another talking board with another name, but they all failed after they launched. So there were lawsuits that ensued after that, and they were not like just simple lawsuits. Apparently, William Fold had a really, really big conflict with his brother, who he waited to get out of the company before he licensed it. And so he had a conflict with his brother that became so serious that his brother actually went to exhume his baby daughter and relocated it away from the Fold family gravesite during a cemetery renovation and the two sides of the family would not speak for 96 years so it's not just some ordinary conflict it's really serious it's a really really serious conflict so in 1919 Bowie one of the last investors sold the remaining business interests in Ouija to Fold his protege for only a dollar while the years are passing, Fold ended up suing many companies over the Ouija name because it's licensed. And even the concept, he sued companies over it right up until his death in 1927. So during the Great Depression, uh, the Great Depression, where there's a lot of depression, the Fold company opened new factories to meet demand for the boards. And over five months in 1944, a single New York department store sold 50,000 of them. So, booming years and a lot of money came and landed on William Fold's hands. But tragically, he would suffer a fatal accident at his Harford Avenue factory. One he claimed in a 1919 Baltimore Sun story that the Ouija board actually told him to build this company and he died there. The Ouija board apparently told him to prepare for big business. So while he was overseeing the installation of a flag, an iron railing gave away and he fell off the roof of the structure which actually still stands today and just it has just been converted into a senior apartment complex. So he fell and on his deathbed, the coroner's report said he had a broken rib that pierced his heart and before he died, he made his children promise to never sell the Ouija out of the family. So he wanted to keep as a company, family, family business, family business. But you know, 
the family still sold it. <laughs> Loyalty, am I right? I mean, they still sold it. I suppose they felt the need to sit to sell it, so they sold it. Yep, they sold it to the Parker brothers. So in 1967, the year after the Parker brothers bought the game from the Fold Company, two million boards were sold, and it outsold Monopoly, which promptly moved Ouija. Oh, so Parker Brothers actually moved Ouija to its base of operations in Salem, MA. Is it Massachusetts? Salem, Massachusetts? So in 1967, the first year it was headquartered in the town and famous for the witch trials, Ouija sold 2 million boards. So that's where they managed to sell 2 million boards and outsell Monopoly. So advertising Ouija even more. A lot of strange Ouija tales were moving around. Suppose there's some in newspapers, some like rumors going around about strange Ouija tales. <clears throat> so in 1920, there's a National Wire Services reported. The National Wire Services reported that some people managed to get some clues to solve a crime to the mysterious murder of a New York City gambler. Joseph Burton Elwell, and they managed to solve this crime because of the Ouija board, apparently, and this is to the frustration of the police. So the Ouija board is helping with solving crimes now. In 1921, the New York Times reported that a Chicago woman being sent to a psychiatric hospital tried to explain to the doctors that she actually wasn't suffering from mania, but that the Ouija spirits had told her to leave her mother's dead body in the living room for 15 days before burying her in the backyard. So honestly, there's a lot to unpack from that and a lot of questions stemming out from that. Did her mother die from natural causes or did she kill her mother? <laughs> Why is she burying her in the backyard? Did Ouija tell her that or does she just want to marry her, bury her mother there? We don't know, but there's a lot of story. There's a lot of questions from me coming out of that. So in 1930, there's another story that came out in the newspaper, and this is the account of two women in Buffalo, New York, and they murdered another woman, supposedly on the encouragement of Ouija board messages. That's what happened. Two women murdered somebody because the Ouija board told them. So now in 1941, there's another story that. Went around, and it is about a 23-year-old gas station attendant from New Jersey, and they told the New York Times that he joined the army because the Ouija board told him to. Mm-hmm. So now, in 1958, a Connecticut court decided not to honor the Ouija board will of someone called Helen Dopeck. Apparently, she left only $8,000 to two former servants and an insane amount of money, $152,000, to someone called Mr. John Gale Forbes, which is not a living, a living person. He is a spirit who apparently she contacted via the Ouija board and she was just going to give her money to this spirit, which also made me ask... More questions like, what if the court honored this? Where does the money go if it's a spirit? But they didn't honor it, so I suppose it went to other people. Hopefully, the two servants that she just gave a thousand dollars to. I mean, a thousand dollars is a lot of money, but still, 
So the Ouija boards also offered some literary inspiration. So in 1916, Mrs. Pearl Koran made headlines when she began writing poems and stories that she claimed were dictated by a Ouija board. And uh, she contacted a spirit of a 17th century English woman called Patience Worth. Patience Worth. The worth the patience. <laughs> so the following year, Koran's friend, Emily Grant Hutchings, claimed that her book, Jap Heron, was also communicated by a Ouija board by the late Samuel Clemens, better known as Mark Twain. So, a couple of stories that believe what you want to believe, I suppose. So, apparently, in a, an, another person that was very successful in his in their art was also uh, influenced by the Ouija board. And this is the Pulitzer Prize winning poet, James Merrill. Apparently, in 1982, his epic Ouija-inspired and dictated poem, The Changing Light at Sandover, won the National Book Critics Circle Award. For his part, though, he publicly implied that the Ouija board acted more as a magnifier for his poetic thoughts rather than like the Ouija board dictated it to him. So after he wrote another uh, quote-unquote Ouija creation named Mirabelle Books of Number, he told the New York Review of Books, quote, If the spirits aren't external, how astonishing the mediums become, end quote. So now it's the booming years for the Ouija board, booming for the wallets of the people who owns the license for the Ouija board, booming itself for the population of the Ouija board. But now here comes the fear of the Ouija board because back then it wasn't something scary. People aren't afraid of using it. People are actually even excited to use it. But now it is the year where The Exorcist came about, that movie. And this scared a lot of people. And in this movie, 12-year-old Reagan was possessed by a demon after playing with a wizard board by herself. And this movie changed how people saw the board. So almost overnight, Ouija from a tool that communicates with spirits and helps people became a tool for the devil. And for that reason, it became a tool of a lot of horror writers and movie makers, and it began popping up in scary movies. But outside of the theater, people actually also became very afraid of it. And even in the following years, the Ouija board was denounced by a lot of religious groups, and they call it as Satan's preferred method of communication. But actually, since early in the Ouija board's history, it has actually been criticized by several Christian denominations. So the Catholic Church, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church, in paragraph 2116, it explicitly forbids any practice of divination, which includes the usage of Ouija boards. Also, there is a site called... Site? Is it a site? Anyway, there's also a place called Catholic Answers. It is a Roman Catholic Christian apologetics organization. And this states that, quote, the Ouija board is far from harmless, as it is a form of divination, seeking information from supernatural sources. So moreover, there are a lot of Catholic bishops in Micronesia that called the boards to be banned and warned a lot of congregations that 
Instead of talking to harmless spirits, they were actually talking to demons when using a Ouija board. So in a pastoral letter, the Dutch Reformed churches encourage everybody or its communicants to avoid Ouija boards as it is a practice related to the occult. And also the Wisconsin Evangelical Lutheran Synod also forbids its people from using Ouija board as it teaches that as it teaches that it would be a violation of the Ten Commandments. So the banning actually became very serious in Alamor Gordo, Alamor Gordo, New Mexico in two thousand one. And people burned Ouija boards in bonfires along with copies of Harry Potter and Disney's Snow White because apparently they viewed it as symbols of witchcraft. And one of the religious criticism expressed that the Ouija board reveals information which should only be in God's hands and thus it is a tool of Satan. A spokesperson for Human Life International described the boards as a portal to talk to spirits and called for Hasbro to be prohibited from marketing them. And amidst all that fear, amidst all of that calls for banning these wooden wooden boards, Alistair Crowley was having a party. <laughs> so Alistair Crowley, a famous cultist, had great had great admiration for the use of the Ouija board. And he plays it a lot in his magical workings. So Jane Wolfe, who lived with Crowley at Abbey of Thelema, also used the Ouija board. She credits some of her greatest spiritual communications to the Ouija board. And Crowley also discussed this board with another of his students, one of his closest, one of his most, I guess, faithful students, Frater Atchad. Or Charles Stanfield Jones and they frequently mentioned it in their letters in 1917 Achad experimented with the board as a means of summoning angels as opposed to elementals and in one letter to Crowley Jones said your Ouija board experiment is rather fun oh no in one letter Crowley told Jones your Ouija board experiment is rather fun you see how very satisfactory it is, but I believe things improve greatly with practice. I think you should keep to one angel and make the magical preparations more elaborate. Whether they are able to contact an angel or a demon, I don't know, but I suppose they had fun with playing and experimenting with the board. So now that's kind of like the history, a very summarized history of the Ouija board because I don't want to go through like the nitty gritty of every single thing that had happened in the Ouija board history because I guess would be we would be here for, I don't know, a week? <laughs> Depends on how long the history would be. So now that the summarized history is done, let's talk about the rules first before talking about a couple of experiences of people because I have seen like a three, a couple, a three, a few, three stories of experiences of people when using the Ouija board. Let's talk about the rules first. First, don't use it alone. You could if you really wanted, but it's best not to. It is better to call for spirits when, when you're in a group of people as it actually also provides a grounding effect. Plus, apparently, it's less spooky. When you're with other people, true. 
And also this means that there is more energy present to connect with a spirit. So apparently you could just have like some, a group of people with you. They could just comfortably sit and touch the planchette. And it's fine to have some people just be viewers, but they're just, they're there to provide like energy, to ground the place and energy to communicate with spirits. So most people advise having two to five members in your group because having more than five members may cause confusion and make results hard to decipher. And apparently using a Ouija board is both tiring for the user as well as the spirits, so having more hands on the planchette provides more energy to the spirit. So second, use it in a dark and quiet place, because yes, it is more spooky that way, but also it creates a quiet canvas for the spirit to enter. It's important to set the mood and get rid of any distractions. But do not use a Ouija board in your home. If you do connect with a spirit that is not good, the energy will be in your home and it will be harder to break contact with it. So not in your home and not in a graveyard. Don't use it in a graveyard because this is like trying to have a conversation with a million, million strangers because a lot of dead people in graveyards it's like trying to talk to million strangers that are trying to just slide themselves into the conversation so when communicating with a spirit this is apparently one discussion that you don't want to be interrupted so a random ghost just sticking into the spiritual connection can be dangerous so keep it just like one-on-one -on -one, so not in a cemetery and mostly third row are we in three? I don't know. Should I just stop reading? I Should I stop counting? Because apparently I keep on forgetting what number we are in. Because <laughs> my notes don't have numberings in them. So you can ask anything, mostly. But also, a spirit can also tell you anything they want to say. Even the stuff that you might not want to hear. So be cautious. So don't believe everything that the spirit says. Because a spirit is trying to win your trust by telling you, that they are a long-lost relative or a spirit of a small child who needs your help. In reality, this could be a malevolent spirit, so just be cautious. So be open, but at the same time, keep your guard up. So never, never, never taunt or god a spirit to communicate with you through the Ouija board. And, oh, to communicate with you without using the Ouija board. You know, like, if you are here right now, knock on the door type of thing this is dangerous and this could provide disastrous consequences to so never ask a presence to prove its existence also never ask a ouija board when you are going to die just don't it's also polite to ask the spirit to introduce themselves granted it is not a necessity but it is also helpful to know if you're speaking to someone you have a connection with or just someone you don't know and when using the Ouija board and you are in a group, only the leader can ask questions. It makes things easier and doesn't overwhelm the spirit with tons of scattered energy. It is also considered good if the leader just doesn't ask silly or jokey questions or openly doubt the existence of the spirit within the board. So if you are using the Ouija board and are not the leader, you should just keep, you should just keep your fingers on the planchette and remain silent. No one should laugh or ask whether it is working, so no like, shh, 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 I think it's working, is there a spirit there? Hello? So no, no doing it like that, 
because this is negative energy which interferes with the process itself. Try not to decipher the words as the planchette moves. Your role is just to close your eyes and focus your energy on the planchette. So how are you going to see the message if you just have your eyes closed? You assign someone to write down the answers. So it can get really confusing when the planchette is pointing toward multiple letters at a fast pace. So you should have just have someone write down your answers or you could record the whole thing. So if you want to take a break, have one person keep their hand on the planchette to stay connected to the energy you have built. So if a spirit starts communicating with you through the board by counting down or going through the alphabet, immediately end the session by saying goodbye. This is a common theme that said that is a sign that you have contacted a malevolent spirit and that the spirit is trying to leave the board. Probably to give harm or do more malevolent things instead of just talking to you. So if a spirit starts communicating with you by making the planchette make a figure 8 or an infinity symbol, you should also immediately end the session by saying goodbye. If this is also a sign that you have contacted a malevolent spirit. So if you actually also begin to suspect that you are in contact with a bad spirit, immediately end the session by saying goodbye. It also helps to leave this space where you are in to sever the energy between the group and the spirit. So if you speak to, if you speak to a spirit to identify themselves as Zozo, end the session and say goodbye immediately. Zozo is a demon. I would probably end up making an episode dedicated to him, but not right now. But if a spirit identifies themselves as that, end the session immediately and say goodbye. Apparently, if you also have depression, it may be good to avoid using a Ouija board because instead of like, I suppose, uh, emanating positive energy, you're emanating negative energy and you might draw in some malevolent spirits so i'm out of this <laughs> my anti-depression pills says hi so always end the session with goodbye whether the spirit does it on their own or you've had enough and want to leave the conversation always say goodbye make it official if the planchette moves to goodbye on its own end the session allow the spirit to go so the last thing you want to do is attempt to force communication with a spirit that is unwilling to do so. Don't leave the planchette on the board. When you are done using the Ouija board, remove the planchette from it. Even if you are just leaving the room for a bit, it's considered bad luck to leave the planchette on the board. So when in doubt, listen to your gut. Don't like the vibes of the spirit? Say goodbye. Don't like how it is coming out? Say goodbye. Felt like something is going wrong? Say goodbye. Remember, you are in charge of the board, not the spirit. Sage the room after you are done. So using sage incense around the room is a great way to clear the space of any unwanted and lingering energy from the other side. If you're overly concerned about contacting evil spirits, you could sprinkle salt in a circle around the group. Apparently, this may add a layer of protection and is a good idea if you're doing the widget board in a new location such as an abandoned building. Why? So you may also want to consider burning sage and placing a silver coin on the board. Silver may be able to stop an evil presence from leaving the board. 
So after the session, thank the spirit for communicating. No, before ending the session, thank the spirit for communicating with you. Then flip the board and leave the room. Always leave the board flipped for a time before putting it away. This ensures that any residual energy in the room is depleted. So never, never burn a Ouija board. Apparently, this can do more damage than simply leaving it untouched in a closet. If you are having problems with a Ouija board, store the planchette and the board separately. It is rumored that when a Ouija board is burned, it may let loose a loud shriek into the night. And anyone that hears this shriek has less than two days to live. But how do you destroy a Ouija board? Is there a way to do that? So in a site called witchboard.info, they say that 99% of the time you can just toss it in the trash. It's no big deal. But if your Ouija board has done something to really freak you out, you may want more closure to it. So there are reports that spring up from time to time that people give the board away or trying to destroy it only to have the board come back to them years later. So one accepted method of destroying a Ouija board is to break it carefully into seven pieces. You sprinkle holy water, of holy water over these seven pieces and then bury them. Be sure to bury it in a peaceful location. A cemetery is probably not the best place. So I actually searched up the rules that Hasbro has given to using this board and honestly there's not much that has been said in it it's just said that sit down use the planchette and wait for it to move like there's nothing like be careful and all that stuff it's really just advertised as a game a toy for people to play with and not like some serious rules written down so that's the only Thing that I have seen when I searched up the rules. And so that's the rules. That's how you destroy the Ouija board. Okay, now that the rules have been talked about, we're now going to go and talk about the experiences. Or there's a lot. When you search around the internet, there's a lot of Ouija experiences that you could search up and read. And there's a lot that's just terrifying there's a lot that is more mysterious than anything some are actually like feel good in a way as well but of course since it's a halloween themed episode or a you know a paranormal slash horror full ramble we're going to focus more on the scary ones the one who's the ones that are going to make us creeped out. The ones that are going to make us not want to play the Ouija game at all. And the first that I would uh, read out loud is from this site that I have used to search for ways to how to destroy a Ouija board. The witchboard.info site. You can look at that site. It's not a very big one. And you could read a couple of more stories from it. And it's quite an interesting site if you want to learn more about the Ouija board. And the uh, site owner's stands on how to use a Ouija board and the rules and all that stuff. If you want to read more upon that, you could go at the site itself, which is witchboard.info. 
And now, I'm going to read one of their stories there titled, An Old Board. So, here it goes. When I was in 6th grade, my sister and I would go with our parents on the weekends to garage sales. My father collected antiques and my mother enjoyed looking for knickknacks. I'd always protest, but my mom would say, Come on, Ember, don't be a party pooper. Of course, my sister would follow through by making farting noises and calling me pooper. It was usually pretty boring, but our parents always gave us a few dollars to spend, which, at a yard sale, can go quite far. One Saturday morning, we were rummaging through boxes of old toys at one sale and discovered a wooden board with letters and numbers burned into the surface. The owner noticed us examining it and came over to ask if we liked it. I had no idea what that thing was. He explained that it was a magic board that you could use to speak to angels and friendly spirits. He said it was kind of like a phone to heaven. The board itself was pretty beat up but our curiosity got the better of us. We purchased it for $3 along with a copy of the board game Clue. When we got home that afternoon, we played Clue first. After growing bored, we pulled out the widget board and started fooling around. The owner gave us some basic advice on how to use it, but we weren't sure if we were supposed to spell the questions out or just ask the board correctly. Nothing seemed to work. My sister Julie kept asking it dumb questions like, Who will Amber marry? And then would make it spell out Jason. Jason was this creepy fat kid with red hair and pimples who always stared at us from across the street but would never say anything. How many kids would Amber and Jason have? She'd ask and then make it point to nine. Will Amber and Jason live in a van down by the river? The planchette moved to yes. Little sisters suck. <laughs> Bored, we threw it in the closet along with our copy of Clue. Forgotten it stayed there for a couple of weeks until one afternoon we were so bored out of our minds. We decided to pull it out again. Our favorite uncle, Ron, was babysitting but he was glued to the television watching baseball. We again tried to make the board work but it would just spew out gibberish. It almost seemed like it was trying to form words and sentences but what it said didn't make any sense. Frustrated, we again tossed it back in the closet. Later, we asked Uncle Ron if he knew how to use a Ouija board. He nodded and gave us a few suggestions, such as starting out by moving the pointer in a circle, holding the board between us in our laps, and to try to take it seriously. No Jason jokes. He also suggested that we write down what the board told us, even if it was gibberish because it could be a puzzle. Or something that might make sense at a later time. I think he was just trying to get rid of us so he could get back to watching the ball game. So this is me kind of like inserting myself in the middle of the story. The uncle was right. <laughs> Those are all like rules that I have talked about in the first part of this episode, right? So continuing, after dinner, my sister and I again gave it a try. With the board between us in our laps, we began to move the planchette clockwise around the board. We asked if anything wanted to talk to us. Nothing happened for a while, then I remember being surprised 
to feel the planchette jerk forward for a moment. I asked my sister if she'd made it move. Looking startled, she shook her head negatively. I asked if someone was there. The pointer moved to the yes. Where are you? I asked. The board spelled out Conectotelus, which I quickly wrote down. It's C-O-N-I-E-C-T-O, Conecto, Telus, T-E-L-L-U-S. Are you a friendly spirit? I asked. After a pause, the board spelled Valde Everto Est Meus Amicus. So, to other people who know this language, you'd probably understand what it meant. But, it's, I think it's Latin. So, continuing. What happens when we die? asked my sister. The pointer spelled out Vestri Animus Mos Exuro in Lacus. I then asked the spirit if it loved Jesus. The board spelled Miserabilis Meretricis and then stopped working. We tried for a few more minutes to get it to work, but together came to the conclusion that Ouija boards are simply boring. We took the paper to our uncle who told us that it looked like a foreign language. He didn't know what it was, but told us that he might know someone who would. We let him keep the paper and forgot about it. Uncle Ron would keep an eye on us sometimes when mom and dad went out on date nights. A couple weeks later, he returned. After our parents left, he immediately took me aside and asked for the Ouija board. Why? I questioned. Just get it. He said forcefully, his voice startling me. I brought it to him and he immediately took it out to the backyard. I watched him through the window as he took a saw from a dad's shed and cut it into several pieces. He placed the pieces into a brown paper bag which I watched him toss into the trunk of his car. He wouldn't say anything else about it other than to make us promise not to ever touch another Ouija board. He told us that if we were good girls and would keep our promise, he would drive us right then to the toy store to buy a new game. We enthusiastically agreed. He even bought us ice cream on the way home. He never spoke about his weird behavior again and we soon forgot it. It wasn't until several years later when I was in college that I finally found out why he'd acted so strangely. He'd come to visit me at my dorm and was dismayed to find out that I no longer attended Mass. I told him there was no reason to because there is no God and that I was an atheist, just like my then-boyfriend. He was horrified, although to his credit, he didn't lecture me. A week later, I received a letter from him that went something like this. Amber, I love you and God loves you. There is also evil in this world. Remember when you wrote down what that Ouija board said a long time ago? I kept it. My pastor translated it for me. I hope you'll reconsider your choice to turn your back on the church. If evil exists, then God most certainly does as well. With the letter, he included a translated copy of what the Ouija board had told us. Whatever it was that had contacted us, contacted us, it chose to speak Latin. So... Her questions, I would uh, read her questions first and then the answer in Latin and then the translation of that Latin answer. So, where are you? Conecto Telus, the infernal regions. Are you a friendly spirit? 
Valde Everto est meus amicus. The great demon is my friend. What happens when we die? Vestri animus mos exuro in lacus. Your souls will burn in the lake. Do you love Jesus? Miserabilis meretricis. My first word means wretched. The second, the first word means wretched, so miserabilis. The second refers to a woman that sells herself on the street. I'm now happily married with children of my own. We occasionally miss a Sunday now and then, but for the most part, we always attend Mass. I'll forever be grateful to my uncle and I miss him dearly now that he's in heaven. I wrote this for you, Ron. So... Honestly, personally, this is one of those stories that both make me feel warm because she did the, she dedicated this cool story to her uncle and horrified because the questions translated in English, the answers translated in English is quite concerning. That's not a good answer at all. If you contact the Ouija board and the answers are like that, my god, say goodbye, like, almost, immediately, not almost immediately, immediately say goodbye, sage the room, flip the table, get out. So, here is the second paranormal story. And this is from Thought Catalog, such a good, good site. And it's titled, Read This If You Don't Mind That You'll Never Want to Play With a Ouija Board Again. This is by Diane Burrell, posted on January 7th, 2016. So, someone in Cora asked the site Cora, What is the creepiest thing that has ever actually happened to you? Here is one of the best answers that's been pulled from the thread. When I was a young teen, about 15, I think, I had a slumber party with some friends on my birthday. We did all the usual slumber party type things, including creepy games like light as a feather, stiff as a board, and playing with a Ouija board. Now, let me preface this by saying that I had requested and gotten the Ouija board for Christmas and never thought of it as anything more than a cool, creepy game. We were living in Hawaii and there's a very strong sense of mana in the islands, a spiritual quality that allows for supernatural happenings. There are ghost stories aplenty, so I naturally believed in ghosts and was going through a phase where I was devouring books by Stephen King and reading about ghosts and possessions and all manner of things that I, being a highly imaginative, creative young woman, probably should not have been so eager to read. Anyway, we got out the Ouija board, turned off the lights, put our fingers on the planchette and started asking questions. We were asking all the usual questions. Is there anyone here with us? Are you a boy or girl? What's your name? Etc. Etc. I admit I was influencing where the planchette was going. It was my party, my birthday, and I could mess with their heads if I wanted to, damn it. <laughs> so I was pushing and pulling it a bit here and there, pretty harmless stuff. But gradually, I felt it pushing and pulling against me. So I thought someone else was trying to take over. So I let them. We kept asking dumb questions, getting dumb answers. Then it stopped moving for a moment. I got back in there, giving it a little shove, and got the game started again. 
Pretty soon, I was fighting against one of the other girls. Again, so I stopped trying to control it. Then someone asked if it was actually a ghost talking to us, and the planchette slid over the word, No. Someone asked, Are you good? The planchette moved away, then back to, No. Are you bad? It slid to yes. We all started getting nervous at that point. Could hurt someone if you tried? Away, then back to yes. At this point, I wanted to kill the stupid girl who kept asking questions. I knew she was the one messing with the planchette. Why would you do that? Someone asked. It slid all over the place, finally spelling, Ken. Yep, I was just about done. We were all just about done when someone else asked, What's your name? Holy fuck balls. <laughs> My friends did not know when to shut up. The planchette started sliding around again. E. E. V. Now I was done. I jumped up, turned on the lights, and said, That's it. No more. I took the board, packed it all up, and shoved the thing onto the top shelf of the second closet. My room had two closets. One I used, the other had things like coats and boxes in it. The whole family used it. The rest of the night was spent with us alternating between screaming at every little noise and then giggling about it. Ah, oh, kids. But this isn't a story about a sleepover and stupid Ouija board game. This is a story about what happened afterwards. I started hearing tapping sounds from the closet. Little ones, kind of quiet, but there. Tap, 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 tap. Not every night, either. Just sometimes, I would go weeks without hearing anything. Then suddenly one night after another, tap, 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 tap. I started jumping out of bed and running from the room whenever it started up. And my mom caught me sleeping on the couch several times. There were nights I would drag her or my sister into the room to try to make them hear it too. But the sounds would stop the moment someone else came in. Then one night, one glorious night, my mom made it into the room in time to hear the tapping. She was dumbfounded that I had actually been hearing something this whole time. She was also braver than I because she promptly opened the closet to identify where the sound was coming from. The sound stopped in mid-tap, but not before we both realized it was coming from the Ouija board box. I just about had a meltdown when I came to the realization that the planchette was moving and tapping on the inside of the box. I'm not real clear on what exactly happened after that, but my mom says I became hysterical and wouldn't calm down until she took the box out of the closet, out of my room, and out of the apartment. She had to lock it in the trunk of her car. She took it to a swap meet to get rid of it, but when a woman picked it up and asked if it really worked, she said, My daughter says it works too well. That's why I'm trying to sell it. The woman put it down and walked away. No one would buy it because my mom was a really honest woman, still is, and would tell the truth whenever anyone asked her about it. I love my mother, but jeez. I refused to have it back in the apartment, so she ended up stopping at one of those Goodwill bins and putting it in there. I used to wonder what happened to it and hoped that it got beat up and damaged and eventually burned up in the fire. Somewhere else, I stopped hearing tapping noises. I had other experiences over the years, but I will never forget that one.
<laughs> so that one was creepier than the other. I, um, it's creepier in a way that is mysterious. It's creepier in a way where the planchette is moving by itself, and whatever was contacted was still trying to talk, even if nobody is trying to talk to them anymore. Though it also makes me question. Did say did they say goodbye? I don't think they did. So the connection is still up, it's still there, and the spirit is still trying to talk. So close your connections, people. Say goodbye. Whenever a session ends, don't forget, say goodbye. So third experience. This is from Reddit, posted in uh R Paranormal, and this is posted by Orphanteer. Five years ago. The title is Ouija Board from Hell. First of all, I am a skeptic, but this incident was too weird for me to figure out. Is it really possible to stumble across this many random coincidences in one night? Second of all, my English is not that good, so bear with me. So let's begin. Some years ago, me and my friends was staying in my parents' house when they were on vacation. We were bored and decided to find something fun to do on the internet. The first thing that popped up was this Ouija board with instructions on how to use it. We figured out that it was a good idea and printed it out. I read the instructions carefully and we sat down on the dining table with the board in the middle. None of us really believed in paranormal stuff, so this was more for fun than it was to really connect with someone on the other side. We did all the preparations needed to proceed and started the quote-unquote game. After saying all the things the internet had told me to say, we started asking more direct questions like, give me a sign if there's anyone here, and so on. Nothing happened and the glass we all had our finger on stayed perfectly still during the questions. The last question I asked was, is there anyone here? But nothing happened. Disappointed as we were, we decided to do something else, so I started to put the items we had used back in place. The Ouija board I decided to burn because I didn't want it to lay around. Now comes the first really creepy incident. I went to the fireplace to burn the printed out board. I held the board in one of the corners and lit it on fire from underneath. I held the board until it was covered in flames so the whole board should burn up. I literally watched the whole board burn to ashes. I then went downstairs to watch what had happened to the dog. The dog was barking the whole day, but stopped the same moment we started playing. I thought this was weird, so I went downstairs. Downstairs in the house, there are two doors that goes outside. When I was at the bottom of the stairs, I noticed the first door was wide open. I got scared and closed it before I went into the room where my dog was. Inside the room is the other door that goes out of the house. And guess what? This one was wide open as well. I ran upstairs again to tell my friends. When I ran past the fireplace, I noticed a little piece of paper laying in the ashes. When I turned it around, it said, yes, with a creepy looking face half burned away. If you look at the edges, you can see that the piece isn't from any of the edges of the board. It came from the middle. I made sure that the whole board was on fire before I let go of it. Then I remembered the last question I asked during the game. 
Is there anyone here? I was terrified, and we decided to leave the house. I went downstairs to get the dog and lock the doors, then came upstairs again to leave the house. Then again, something strange happened. We were all putting our clothes on upstairs. Are they naked? <laughs> we were all putting our clothes on upstairs. I mean, all of us were upstairs, even the dog. Suddenly, there were three loud banging sounds coming from downstairs. And we then got so scared that we ran away from the house. Is this something I need to worry about? I don't really believe in paranormal activity, but this made me open my eyes. Please tell me if someone have experienced something similar. So, going back to the rules of how to use a Ouija board, don't ask whatever you have contacted to prove their existence to or to make it manipulate something in the physical realm because that's not going to end well. If they're bad, that's not going to end well. They might even just stay in the house with you if you even use it in your house. So be very, very careful. And also, the dog didn't really do much except stop barking in this story. But if your pet behaves weirdly and like they don't want to go to a room when they usually doesn't behave like that, trust their instincts. I trust my dogs a lot. <laughs> And I believe trusting your pets and animals that suddenly be starts behaving weirdly is a good thing. Just trust your pet's instincts. And the picture, he posted a link to the picture and I'll post it on Instagram after this episode is released. So you could be a judge on how you feel about the unburned part of the Ouija board that they printed. And now for the last story. Initially, actually, I was just planning on putting three stories because I have three paranormal stories and I have three true crime stories that would come after I talk about the paranormal stories. And I was, as I've said, decided to go with three paranormal stories. So it just have an equal count. But I found this in, our, in Reddit, the paranormal subreddit. And I laughed at the name of the redditor and I just had to read their story out loud because of the name and this is posted in the subreddit paranormal by redditor I am a bullsack AMA <laughs> I am 12 guys I am 12 <laughs> so the title is this actually happened to me about two weeks ago Two good friends of mine who live a state over decided to come visit me on a whim. We bought some good time supplies and one night, really really late, we had all sobered up and found ourselves with nothing to do. One of my friends, we'll call her Alex, and I had already messed with a Ouija board before on a few occasions. We both know a lot about them and managed to rally up the hopes of our respective boyfriends. Let's get scared! Let's just freak ourselves out. Neither of the men were true believers, so we figured, why not? Something to do. So we made a Ouija board. Nobody ever tells you that playing with a Ouija board is a good, safe, or fun thing to do. Ever. Prior to the night, I did actually think they were fun. But quickly, I understood why so many people had warned me of the board. For the first 10 or 15 minutes, it was mostly us just asking questions to empty air. Then Alex suggested that we turn out the lights. 
We lit candles, turned the radio on to white noise, why? <laughs> and let the room get dark. That's when things started to get weird. The planchette, before we could even ask if there was anything there, moved very quickly to hello, to which I asked, who are you? The static noise from the radio stopped. It was dead silent. The planchette spelled out very quickly, Zozo. I can't remember specifically all of the questions we asked, but I remember some of the answers. He told us to get help, and we asked for whom. It spelled out white cat. That's my big kitty, Sly Pooper. Is that the name of the cat? Sly Pooper? And the next day, he was limping with a hurt rear leg. Aww. He was fine the day before. I don't know what happened. When we asked Zozo to give us a sign of his presence, he spelled out stop. Around that time, we started to hear weird scratching noises coming from the radio. But I figured it was just interference and turned it off. Then half of the things on top of my fridge fell to the floor. A bag of bananas, a container of garlic cloves, a glass dish, oh no, is the glass broken? And a bag of onions crashed onto the floor in a big heap. Before I could even react, half of the candles blew out too. We acknowledged Zozo out loud and thanked him. I have lived in this apartment for 10 months and I've never seen anything like that happen. I was freaked out. It was getting real. We decided to ask Zozo to leave. He told us no. We decided to tell it to leave. The planchette kept going back from hello to no. It did this seven or eight times. My two friends took their fingers off the planchette. They were scared. My boyfriend and I were the only ones with fingers on it. It was the designated medium, but out of nowhere, my boyfriend demanded Zozo to live, to leave because he was not welcome in our home. My brain was like, what a bad fucking idea. We began to try and move the planchette in circles like you do when you're expecting an answer and all of a sudden it fucking stopped the hello spot of the board and would not fucking move. We actually slid the whole board off the table trying to get it to move. It was being pushed down. Hard. My boyfriend and I only had a finger each on it. I guess anything is possible but I can't see how it could have been him and I know it wasn't me. The next morning... I folded the board into three and buried it off of a nature trail at the edge of my town. There were really weird things happening in our house until recently. While I was in the bathroom late at night, what looked like two feet was obstructing the light shining under the door. The door to our office locks from the outside, and while my boyfriend and I were in there, it locked. His two-year-old was in bed sleeping. I just don't think she's agile or tall enough to lock that door without anyone hearing her or noticing. Plus, that thing with my cat's hurt back leg. We would hear things in our bedroom being thrown around and what sounded like people walking around in our living room at night. It all sort of gradually stopped. Nothing really obtrusive has been happening lately. TLDR, <laughs> my friend and I didn't take the Ouija board seriously. And our boyfriends didn't believe at all. We had one session that went all rogue and freaky and actually made my house haunted for a week or so. I won't tell you not to mess with it because that's dumb. Just be ready for things to get real fast. Going back to the rules. We always go back to the rules. When you contact Zozo, say goodbye. Like, no matter what, say goodbye. And don't 
interact with him longer than you should, which is don't ever say goodbye the moment you feel like he's there. Say goodbye. And I'll stop saying his name now because apparently saying his name makes him go to you. So I guess I fucked myself up, but all for a good podcast story. <laughs> Am I right? And so the horror experiences are all done and spoken out loud. And I hope I read them like well and not too weirdly because when you're reading a story out loud and you are conscious of the fact that you're recording your tongue feels like it's trying to fold in on itself and just go in several different directions so the words that you say sound weird a lot and you even feel like you're going to ramble or just trip all over your words and stutter is it just me probably not just me but that's how i felt the whole time i'm reading all of those and so now that the horror experiences are done with Let's go to the true crime ones, which are crimes that Ouija boards are pointed to as the reason why the crimes had happened. And I will not go into too much detail about these crimes because we're going to be here for like a day if I do that. So I just picked up the summary or a very light story or a very light just excerpts parts of the true crime if you want to learn more about it you can search them up or i would i could make like minis from those but only if somebody uh requested it i guess but there are the three true crime uh related true crime Ouija related stories so the first one is about a guy named joshua tucker and Joshua Tucker has been charged with killing a Benton City mother and daughter. And apparently this is because he talked to Satan for about 45 minutes through a Ouija board before the devil himself possessed him. So reports state that Tucker's behavior changed drastically after the purchase of the spirit board, the Ouija board. So Tucker... He, is been, he has been living with a friend, Donald, oh my god, how do you say his last name? Schalschlin? It's S-C-H-A-L-C-H-L-I-N-N. Schalschlin? I'll just call him Donald. So Tucker has been living with his friend's family, Donald. And apparently, when he started changing behaviors, he started fantasizing about raping and killing people very concerning so one day while drinking heavily tucker and his friend turned to the ouija board that they had picked up during their shopping trip and asked if he could became could become a serial killer concerning part two and the board allegedly replied a resounding yes donald believed that tucker had called forth the spirit of satan through the board that night and then became possessed. So on December 20, 2007, the West Richland, Washington police received a 911 hang-up call from the Charleston from Donald's family's home. By the time they arrived on the scene, they found 15-year-old Donald and 16-year-old Joshua Tucker attempting to run away using a white truck. A neighbor told reporters from NBC that when the police arrived, he said, quote, The screaming was like a machine, for lack of a better term, something agonizing, 
someone yelling, pigs must die, death to all pigs, things like that, end quote. So, I don't know who was yelling. Was it the boys? Was it something else? Is it paranormal? We don't know, but that's what the neighbor said to NBC. So after taking both Donald and Joshua Tucker into custody, the investigators walked into, into the, scene of the scene of the crime and it was a bloodbath. So just inside the front door lay the body of Donald's younger sister, 13-year-old Elizabeth. So Tucker had taken a kitchen knife and then sliced her throat while she had been talking on the phone. So police would later find the second victim, which is Donald's mother, lying motionless in the back bedroom. Her mother apparently was found conscious, but with several lacerations, she died on the way to Cadillac Medical Center. So according to a report from the Seattle Times, the mother had walked in as the boys attempted to clean up after murdering 13-year-old Elizabeth. Ah, oh, poor girl. So Tucker began chasing Lori, the mother, and stabbed her several times that the knife broke. Then Donald handed Joshua a dumbbell and a meat cleaver to finish the job. Like, what the fuck, Donald? Your mother and your sister had been killed by your best friend. What in the world is happening here? So he gave Joshua a dumbbell and a meat cleaver to finish the job. So while the mother was still alive, the, investi the investigators arrived in the scene, but she succumbed to her injuries and rode to the hospital. So though Donald claims of demonic possession, so his claims were actually cited in the official court documents on the case, but these claims were apparently never presented to a jury. So Joshua Tucker pleaded guilty to the murders and he was ordered to spend the next 40 years behind bars, which is not a lot, I think, considering the amount of uh, American true crime stories and true crime cases that I have heard and researched. 40 years isn't that long. So Donald, Donald who prosecutors determined had been an accomplice because the dumbbell and the meat cleaver to the crime, but apparently he had not committed the murders himself, was offered a plea deal. So in exchange for a guilty plea, he was sentenced to only nine and a half years in spite the protests from the surviving family members. I'm not a surviving family member, but I am also protesting. So when the 16-year-old allegedly slashed, not allegedly, when the 16-year-old slashed the throat of Elizabeth and stabbed Lori, Oh my god. So when, apparently when these, when Joshua slashed the throat of Elizabeth and stabbed Lori, the mother, 90 times. My gosh. Uh, her mother, Joshua Tucker's mother, Shannon Harrington, said as an explanation on how he managed to do that, she said, quote, It was like Satan was using his hands. He said he was watching down on him and not doing it. End quote. So, Shannon Harrington, Joshua Tucker's mother, is a 42-year-old paraplegic was in a Seattle nursing home, and she's communicated with her son through letters while he is in the Benton County Jail on a million-dollar bail. So her mother continued saying in an interview, I suppose, quote, When the cops showed up, Joshua said he was speaking in tongues and saying stuff about the future and God. They didn't know what he was saying. That's another sign of being possessed. 
end quote. So apparently, Joshua Tucker has been tried as an adult, but Donald was tried in juvenile court. So Shannon Harrington, the mother, said that she's been following news reports of the case, and she also said that Donald isn't the victim that some report that some reports have said he might be. She said Tucker's accounts were that Donald was more involved than than what's been reported. And she said that she thinks Donald is just as guilty as Joshua. She also said that no one knows what her son really was like and that Joshua ever since ever since he was a baby has been good to her. But Tucker has actually has actually has a history of running away from foster homes and Harrington said that's because he ran away to be with her. And that if they would just let her and Joshua be together, this wouldn't have happened. And that she just talked to him a day before the murders and everything was fine. She said that Tucker told her that they had been playing with the widget board a week before the murders. Which is different than what court documents say. That Donald told the investigators that. Donald said he bought the widget board the day before his mother and sister were killed. But... The mother of Joshua Tucker says that this is wrong. This is not uh, the truth. Harrington also said that she warned Tucker about the Ouija board. She said, quote, I said, don't be messing around with that because it could open up portals and stuff. He said he feels no remorse. Another reason I think it was a possession. End quote. So apparently jo Joshua Tucker was supposed to take medication for a mental problem. And that he has been diagnosed with a drug-induced psychotic disorder and depressive bipolar disorder. And she believes a mental hospital would be better than jail for her son. And she is a firm believer that Joshua has been possessed. And that that's the reason why he did all the crimes that he did. And that's about it for that story. It's... I don't know if you agree with me, but personally, I think with or without the Ouija board, he could be charged for it, I suppose. He has been showing quite a lot of concerning behaviors, I suppose. He's, he asked if he could be a serial killer, so maybe I should dig more into this story. In the future because suddenly I'm asking so many questions that I have don't have answers for so maybe maybe I searched it up I will search it up I mean so next true crime story is about Stephen Young he is convicted of a double murder uh, when he killed newlyweds Harry and Nicole Fuller at their cottage in Wadhurst East Sussex so Stephen Young is 35 he is at, at that time I think he is an insurance broker of Pembury, Kent, and he was given a life sentence when he was convicted of this murder. So, Stephen Young wasn't really somebody who used the Ouija board, and the newlyweds weren't also doing the Ouija board, as far as I know. But the Ouija board in this story is connected to the jurors who was there for his case, because apparently the jurors used an upturned wine glass on the board during a drinking session the night before finding him guilty. And so he was uh, given a right for a retrial when that fact was exposed to the people because it's kind of like, I guess it doesn't look like the 
verdict was given properly there's like an outside source of some sort and that kind of like influenced the verdict for his life sentence and so he was given a right to a retrial so the newlyweds let's go back to the newlywed the, the murdered newlywed for a bit so the couple had been found dead on the floor at their home uh nicola was shot three times and harry was shot in the back at close range so they were murdered deliberately and cold-bloodedly and this was said by the prosecution and apparently there was a 999 call i think this is sussex is that british it's not 911 so not in america so apparently there was a 999 call and the telephone operator behind this call thought that her attempts to speak because she wasn't able to speak properly and she was not able to speak properly because she has a splintered jaw so apparently the telephone operator thought that her attempts to speak through her splintered jaw so she was injured already while calling while doing the 999 call and the telephone operator that these noises were made by children playing on the line so she did not telephone operator did not reroute the call to police but oh my god the horror of that image she has a splintered jaw she's already injured she's trying to talk but she did not sound like a proper person i suppose she sounded like one of those kid noises for a prank call and so her call wasn't rerouted to police so apparently stephen young had debts estimated at 100,000 pounds and his creditors were closing in so mr fuller the victim had about 13,000 pounds in the house days before he was shot so stephen young admitted that he had been at the murder scene but said that he found the couple dead and he fled fearing for his life and but after saying that testimony and defense for himself he was sentenced for a life sentence so david penry davy Mr. Young's counsel had told the court that jury members had used a Ouija board while staying overnight at a hotel before they returned with their verdicts. So the report quoted the youngest member of the jury, 24-year-old Adrian, who said that four jurors had tried to consult the spirits of the dead while they were locked overnight in Brighton's Old Ship Hotel. So as the other jurors slept, a small group sat on the floor around a crude Ouija board that they had made from a piece of paper and a hotel room wine glass. So they each put a finger on top of the glass and asked a spirit to guide the glass over letters of the alphabet and the words yes or no. So one juror, Ray, took charge of addressing the spirit, which identified itself via the glass as Harry Fuller. So thinking that they contacted the victim, Ray asked, who killed you the glass spelled out stephen young done it he said how the glass spelled shot and that's what why the jurors discussed what they should do and while they were discussing that the glass spelled out vote guilty tomorrow by the end of the seance some of the jurors were crying a few jurors would later say they felt that they had gone too far the group then retired to their rooms and agreed not to tell the others what they had done. Then just a few weeks later, their actions were causing controversy around the world. So their actions, because it was controversial, it constituted an experiment or consideration for the jurors of matters additional to the evidence in the case. So it kind of like 
major jury selection stricter, making sure that they are not doing stuff that they are not supposed to while a trial was happening. And Michael Lawson for the Crown, so I guess a judge, said that what had happened was an internal matter between the jurors and the court should not intervene. He said there was nothing to suggest that the jurors broke their oath to try the case according to the evidence or that their unanimous verdict was tainted by what happened. So he was anti the tightening of the jury selection, I suppose you could say that. But after, I don't know if it went through, but I suppose it did. So Young, after getting the retrial, was still convicted for a second time and jailed for life for the murder of the newlyweds. So there was a recent, uh, there was a study in the UK about jurors and all that stuff because of this controversy that the Ouija board had done. I mean, the controversy of the jurors using a Ouija board before the verdict. And the recent studies said that, and this study said that, UK found that 12% of jurors in high-profile cases had actively searched online for information, and an Australian trial has already been jeopardized by a juror bringing in pages of Google research printed at home. So when juror misbehavior prompts a retrial, it can have a high cost. So, not good. It would basically burn through taxes and money and all of that. So, deliberations of juries in criminal trials would be studied under plans being considered by the UK government. And that's about the aftermath and what had happened in this trial. It's not the perpetrator of the crime, it's not the victims, but the jurors itself. And doing the Ouija board before a verdict, which is already questionable. And I don't think it's good to contact the murder victim in a trial that you're facilitating, that you are in. I don't think it's good. And yeah, just a personal opinion on the matter. And now the last true crime story that has a Ouija board connected to it. And this is about Matty Turley. So in November 8, 1933 in Prescott, Arizona, 15-year-old Matty Turley fired a shotgun on her, at her father, Ernest Tur Turley, and this inflicted mortal wounds. Ernest was taken to the hospital where he died several weeks later on December 26. So she said that she shot him because the board could not be denied. She eventually pled guilty to attempted murder. She was sentenced to a state reformatory and received parole three years later. Her mother though, Dorothea Irene Turley, operated the seance, actually she was the one who was the leader of the Ouija board session, and she operated the planchette during the seance. The Ouija board told Matty to, quote, shoot daddy after he milked the cows, end quote, and assured her that no one would be able to, to discover the murder, lies. Allegedly, Dorothea, the mother, told Matty that she wanted to marry a handsome cowboy, and getting rid of her father, Ernest Turley, was the simplest solution. So Matty stated during a written statement that she and Dorothea were using a Ouija board together one day when the board seemingly commanded the teen to kill her father. Matty wrote in the statement, It was dark in the room, and there was only the shadows from a flickering lamp. Mother asked the Ouija, the Ouija board, Shall we kill father? And the pointer moved to yes. Mother asked who should do the killing, 
and the pointer spelled out my name. Mother said that I must not refuse to follow the command of the Ouija or I would suffer terribly. So at first, Matty actually tried to pass off her father's death as an accident. She said the sheriff that she had been following about 30 feet behind her father when she tripped and then the shotgun went off. However, when the investigation did the investigation, <laughs> it revealed that her father's wounds could not have been inflicted by the shotgun if it was held by someone standing upright and 10 feet away. And that's when Matty confessed that she actually just shot him because of the Ouija board. So, Matty Turley was sentenced to six years in the Arizona State School for Girls. During her testimony at her mother's hearing, Matty said in details how she had followed her father into the corral, took careful aim at his back, and she hesitated briefly before she remembered her mother saying her how much it would mean for, to her if Ernest is killed. So, Matty further testified, quote, Mother told me the Ouija board could not be denied and that I would not even be arrested for doing it, end quote. Dorothea then testified that she could not have controlled the Ouija board and she was adamant that she did not believe in the power of spirit boards and instead she insisted that the shooting had either been an accident or it was actually an act of revenge by her daughter, a rebellious daughter. So she suddenly pointing this crime to her daughter solely. Dorothea testified, quote, Matty was angry with her father and me. We didn't want her to use rouge or to run about at night with cowpunchers. This is another term for cowboy. And to cross her legs the way she did or to wear such short dresses. She has been influenced to place the blame for this killing on me because some of the cowboys didn't like me, end quote. Dorothea was also arrested though and she was tried for assault with intent to commit murder. She was convicted and was sentenced to 10 to 25 years. She served two years before her conviction was overturned and she was granted a second trial, at which point she was actually found not guilty. She then attempted to sue the state school Matty had been sentenced to, claiming that the school had poisoned her mind against Dorothea. The suit was for $75,000 and today it's roughly around $1.4 million, but there are no information on how the suit went probably did not go Dorothea's favor hopefully not because I believe that she concocted this for her husband to be killed to be quite honest so according to Matty and her younger brother Dorothea back then before their father was killed that she consulted a Ouija board after she had discovered petroglyphs which are actually prehistoric markings typically on cave walls made by some natives on a cliff face which Dorothea believed led to a buried treasure. So Ernest, the father, had used explosives on various rocks on their property at Dorothea's instruction in an effort to find the hidden riches. And that's just, just a bonus back, I suppose you could say that. That she believed there are riches around and stuff. Whether it is related to why she wants the husband dead or not, I don't know, but that's just a bonus fact. And that's the end of the true crime cases with Ouija board in it, in the story. And actually, I wanted to end this episode by reading out loud some funny reviews about the Ouija board. And weirdly enough, I didn't find a lot of them. So I've just written down, jotted down in my notes five 
that I have seen, I looked through Amazon reviews and just picked the ones that made me snicker, I suppose you could say that. And that's how I'm going to end this episode. So, first review is from Richard McGrew. He rated the Ouija board 5 out of 5 stars. So he said, I never wanted one of these in my house. No need to open a gateway to possession, I thought. Then my kids started dabbling into the witchcraft and got me excited. Maybe they too would become a Satanist like me. So for their birthday, I thought this would be a fun surprise. It went over well. No contact were made with anything the first try. But when done with their cousin, they made contact with Zuzu. Thank goodness, after the three-hour standoff with the demon, we were able to retrieve the cousin's soul and close the connection. Fun stuff. Couldn't recommend more. I am conflicted. <laughs> the way they said it, <laughs> and fun stuff, like, okay, okay then, sure. So the next review is from Kim. Five out of five stars. Awesome softness. What the fuck? <laughs> so she said, they said, I bought this for my daughter-in-law who lives in Alaska. She likes it because it is just warm enough and not bulky. What does that mean? Did she post this review in the wrong page or something? It's awesome softness? A reader board? Anyway. The third review is from Sarah Crow. 5 out of 5 stars. Bought this for my daughter and she loves it. So she said, Bought this for my daughter and she loves it. Has used it to summon so many demons. Well worth the money. Another review where I am very much conflicted. So fourth review, Chloe. One out of five stars. Not spooky. No spirits contacted me. Disappointing lack of possession. Why? <laughs> Isn't that good, Chloe? I guess you want a possession. So the last review... It's from Gemma. 5 out of 5 stars. I made a friend. The spirits are rude. I asked if any of them wanted to talk. and They said no. But later that day, I saw a figure behind me through my window and now it won't leave me alone. But it's a good thing we're in quarantine because I was starting to feel lonely but not no more. That's sad. <laughs> also, make sure that the silhouette or whatever you're seeing isn't mal malevolent because oh goodness gracious you're in trouble girl and also you're in quarantine so be careful anyway that's about it for the Ouija board episode i hope you guys have liked it it's probably longer than i in eh, no actually i thought this would be a long one because there's a quite different categories so i figured it would be long but i hope it wasn't like too long for you guys if it is you could like listen to it in bits and pieces here and there you know that's how podcasts work anyway <laughs> and so i hope you did enjoy it and thank you so much for listening if you have reached up to here and yep now we go to the hints part i guess i'm just going to go with the hints that would be easy for guessing <laughs> so the next true crime full ramble is probably also gonna be a long-ish one it's about a serial killer who hunts a lot he likes hunting you know deers uh what do you hunt <laughs> you know hunting in the wilderness deers all that stuff humans you know just hunting you know he likes those stuff <laughs> 
and that's a the serial killer that I'm going to talk about in the next episode. I hope you look forward to it. I am currently in the midst of doing the notes for that and good god, it's a lot. <laughs> so it's probably going to be a long true crime full ramble, so look forward to it guys. And that's about it. If you have stories that you want me to share or you want me to research something and make that the topic of the next full rambles or just even the mini ones, anything that you're interested in that you want me to cover, you could send me emails at macabramblings at gmail.com. If you don't want to go to Gmail, you could also contact me at Twitter and Instagram. My Instagram is macabramblingspodcast and my Twitter is at macarambles. It's M-A-C-A Rambles. And that's about it. Always eat good food. Please don't skip meals. Get some rest. Always get some rest. Drink food. Hydrate. Drink food. Drink food. No. Drink water. Water is the best. Always hydrate. Give your pets a hug. Cuddles. And pray for my dog, I suppose. Uh, one of my dogs, Momo. She has an upset stomach. Her stomach is very sensitive. So we try not to juggle it in like badly but these days i suppose she ate something that doesn't mesh well with her stomach so she has been having diarrhea but it's not so bad i hope she gets better soon so anyway yep don't forget to always stay safe take care of yourselves well and also don't forget stay spooky everybody bye bye